Hey everybody, Jeremy Markovich here. Two quick notes before we get going. First, this podcast has a new home. It's now part of the North Carolina Rabbit Hole, which you can find at ncrabbithole.com. There you can check out previous episodes of Away Message. You can find any new episodes that we're putting out. And if you like this podcast, I think, no guarantees, but I think you will like my weekly newsletter. It is about weird North Carolina stuff. Comes out every Thursday. It is free if you want it to be. And you can sign up at ncrabbithole.com. Second, this episode was produced during my time at Our State Magazine. Now, I happen to think that most of it still holds up, but some of the promo codes and websites that I mention may no longer work. Okay, here's the show. Three months before Hurricane Florence, I'm way out in the Atlantic Ocean, 32 miles off the North Carolina coast, on this old Coast Guard light station called Frying Pan Tower. Yeah, you rip through flags pretty hardcore out here? Yeah, depends on the flag quality. Yeah. And the owner, a guy named Richard Neal, is changing out an American flag. That is really wrapped tight. I don't know if we're actually going to get that to come off of there or not. It's been flying out there for about a month. It's tattered and tangled up. So he is up on this thing. I'm hooking a chain to get the flag down. It takes up little effort, but Richard gets the old flag down, pulls the new one out of his pocket, attaches it to a wire with some zip ties, and then pulls it back up the pole. How often do you just change it every time you come out? You try to, or? It's pretty regular that the winds have just torn it up. The winds can go anywhere from nothing to 50 mile an hour in an hour or so. Yeah. And it just wears it out. I didn't think too much about that moment when I was there, or afterward, really. In fact, When I was making the season finale of this podcast about my trip out to Frying Pan Tower, I cut the whole flag thing out of the episode. And then, on September 13th, a day before Hurricane Florence made landfall, that flag took on a whole new meaning. We're back with our breaking news coverage of Hurricane Florence. We're looking at an American flag flying off of Cape Fear in North Carolina. Frying Pan Tower was right in the path of Hurricane Florence. And as the storm got closer, people started discovering this live webcam on the tower. Again, it's 32 miles off the coast, so watching it was like getting a look into the future. In the background, you can see the waves. They're getting bigger and bigger. The sky is getting darker and darker. You can hear the wind picking up. And then right in the center of the screen, you can see an American flag flapping in the wind. This flag, of course, still standing. Flag was still there. Then it starts to unravel. Look at that American flag already ripped. And as it does, more and more people are watching the live stream. 100,000 people are tuned in at one point. More and more TV stations and news outlets and national networks start showing the live pictures. And it's then that the flag becomes something else. Miles off Cape Fear, North Carolina, an image that's already become a symbol of this storm, an American flag shredded as Hurricane Florence closes in. It became a metaphor. A resilient American flag shredded by Florence still stands, blowing in the wind off the coast of North Carolina. It was all over the internet, and the internet gave the flag a name, Kevin, for some reason. The flag was trending on Twitter, it was all over Facebook, and it was clear to see a lot of people were struck by that image of a flag unraveling in a hurricane, but still 
there. Now, the owner of Frying Pan Tower, Richard Neal, joins us now by phone to discuss why this flag has now become a symbol of what makes America so great. Richard, good morning to you. Hey, good morning, team. You First good? of all, let's just check in. And overnight, as the worst of the storm hit the tower, the feed went down. It is unbelievable. This storm, Florence, will not quit. The next morning, the storm came ashore. The eye of Hurricane Florence is expected right here in Wilmington imminently, in fact. And symbolism took a backseat to survival. It is absolute pandemonium here. That was weeks ago. And you know, with the benefit of hindsight, it seems kind of silly that we were all obsessed with the flag while a catastrophic hurricane was bearing down on us. But then I think about what happened to the flag after the storm. You guys need a pocket knife to cut those edges off? You got it. About a week later, Richard went back out to the tower, retrieved the flag, and put it up for auction Certainly. to raise money for the Red Cross. The winning bid was $11,000 from a man in Cincinnati, Ohio, named Mike Caruso. This is the flag that survived Hurricane Florence. And Mike told a local TV station there that something just struck him about the flag, about the storm, and about that moment. Because right then, Mike's brother, who was also named Kevin, was living in Charlotte. And in the final stages of his fight against cancer, he died on September 30th, the same day that his brother Mike won the auction and bought the flag in Kevin's memory. That flag and what it stands for in Kevin, his life, they correlated and reflected each other at that moment. In times of trouble, little things can take on a larger meaning. Smaller gestures mean more. And people become bigger than themselves. And so today, one month to the day after one of the biggest storms to ever hit North Carolina made landfall, we are back with three stories. The first, about learning a tough lesson. The second, about the power of a picture. And the third, about sticking around to help when everybody else has gone home. All three are about what happened in the wake of Hurricane Florence. But really, they're about what it's like to be a North Carolinian when disaster strikes. From Our State Magazine, this is Away Message. I'm Jeremy Markovich. Part 1, The Store. The new sports shop is this massive store that's right off of Highway 258 in Kinston. It's this place where everybody seems to stop on their way back and forth between Raleigh and the coast. And I guarantee you, if you spend enough time in eastern North Carolina, you will see somebody wearing a t-shirt from the new sports shop. It's open seven days a week, except for the day when I stopped in. Inside, it's loud. Workers are restocking shelves and getting items out of coolers, replacing sheetrock and carpet. There are these big plastic tubes everywhere to get the air flowing around the store. What you got? Let me get on the roof Okay. I'll sh- uh, I'll have Everybody's scurrying around. It's kind of a mess in there. But when I track down the store president and CEO, Russell Rhodes, he says all of this is a good thing. So you've been closed down for like, what, two weeks now? Uh, this is my 15th day. 15th day? Yeah. Wow. Storm closed us and then the... Um, He's wearing a ball cap and a t-shirt always in motion. Um, I'll just, don't don't let me hold you up here. I I won't. (laughs) You'll see. (laughs) He says at one point after Florence, there were about 20 inches of water in here. As soon as the flood water receded, 
he and his employees went to work. The first day was slosh the water out day. Second day was dehumidification day, get it dry. Third day was carpet day. And so we got carpets, so we can start merchandising. We started merchandising. Today is some um, really push up, put up, get things where they need to be. Uh -huh. Wow. So, so tomorrow you're hoping to be back open? I, I, I will have at least part of the store open tomorrow morning. And the reason Russell knows exactly what to do, the reason why he has this checklist, is because he's been through this before. In 1999, when Hurricane Floyd hit, Russell locked up the doors, tried to seal things up, but didn't worry a whole lot because the maps of the time said he was not in a floodplain. Plus, the road out front, Highway 258, it was raised up, and Russell thought it would act like a barrier between his store and the Noose River. But that is not what happened. We're lower than 258. So if it comes over 258, it's going to fill this bowl that the highway creates. And it takes... It's it almost like days. the levee breaking in it a way. It is. It is. It's breached a levee. We're in the low spot. We fill Again, it's loud and hard to hear in there, so I'll just summarize. During Floyd, the water came rushing over the road and down into the new sports shop. Before it was over, Floyd put two feet of water in the store. It ruined hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of merchandise. And remember, the maps said Russell was not in a floodplain, so he didn't have flood insurance. The financial toll from Floyd almost killed the entire store. So after that, Russell and his colleagues huddled up, and they came up with this plan. Now, there are a lot of precise steps, but it boils down to this. When a storm's on its way, almost everything in the store is picked up and loaded into tractor trailers, and then trucked out of the hurricane's path. Then, after the floodwater recedes, the workers come back, they get the water out, replace the stuff that's soggy, get the merchandise back in, and reopen the store. It is this massive undertaking. The store is basically the size of one and a half football fields, and pulling it all off requires a small army of people, from electricians and contractors to cashiers and college kids. So, anyway, they have this plan, and they put it away for about 17 years. Nobody had to put it into action until 2016. Earlier a week after Hurricane Matthew brought high winds and heavy rain, many communities are still dealing with flooding. Even worse, some are expecting a new round of flooding today. One of them is Kinston in Lenore County. It's near the A week before River, Hurricane right Matthew hits, area, Russell puts the plan into effect. And it works. The trucks pull in, everything's loaded up, the storm comes, and this time there's 33 inches of water in the store. That is a foot more than Floyd. But the storm goes, the workers come back, clean everything up, put the fishing rods and shotguns and Christmas trees and waders and everything else back, and they get the store back open a week after the flooding went away. So you, Floyd surprised you yes. in a way that, and then then you were prepared for Matthew. That's right. Um, and, and I learned lessons since Matthew. I made we did a better job this time. Please don't cut the plastic. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Sorry. That was good. That was good. Yeah. You got a lot going on. Yeah. Last time we used 17 trucks. This time it took, I think, 22 because we put more material in the trucks because we didn't want to have to clean them. And so that is all happening again. And even though he's saving his store, Russell is still going to lose a lot of money. This plan costs him more than a million dollars to pull off. And federal flood insurance will only cover a half million of it. But it's better than the alternative. And nearly all of his employees... Amazingly, they're here, working. While the flood was here, of course, we paid the staff uh, on their regular wage. We have one person who lost everything, and he's being paid, but he's, he's 
securing new housing for himself. So while he's doing that, he's not here. We ask each staff member to make their personal decision about when they've hit their point of fatigue, when they're mentally tired, or if they feel like they want to be here. And some tell me they'd rather be here being productive, saving the company that loves them and their friends that work with them, um, than being home. One of them is Caitlin Humphrey. Caitlin, could you speak to us for a second? She's a cashier. Where were you when Florence came in? Um, I was actually in Raleigh. We had moved to, uh, we had went to a hotel in Raleigh to actually kind of get away from it. And then uh, we came back. Well, I had gotten a text that the store had flooded and that my home was flooded. So I came back and... And what did you see? Um, well, the store hadn't quite flooded yet, but the house, it, um, it had about 10 foot on the outside of the house. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Where, did, where does all that water come from? Like, where does it... Well, I live on Wisefort Road in Trenton, and it actually came from the Trent River in New Bern. That's what actually made it flood. Wow. So, um, had you ever had flood like that before? No, sir. Mm-mm. Not there. I'm sorry. And you, ju- and you just remodeled? We did. We moved in about a month and a half ago. We, re- we remodeled the whole house. Oh, man. <laughs> I, you just, I, just, I just see your shoulders sinking. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, like when you walk in, and you like, you, you, there's this moment between you know something has happened, and then actually getting there to see what's going on. So, what's going through your mind when you're getting this text and trying to get back? Um, I'm kind of speechless when it, I mean, I don't even know. It was. Do you feel like maybe you haven't quite processed it yet because you're, you're you're kind of working here and then working at the house? All Definitely, uh, it's just a lot to take in. Knowing you know your home got flooded, your job got flooded, and it's just. A lot to process. Yeah, it's a lot. On the first day, we came and helped the sports shop. So the first day after you got back, you were here. Yes. <laughs> and then you leave here and you go back home. And what are you doing when you get home? We're actually we actually just started ripping everything out. So all the sheetrock. We actually don't know if we're gonna stay there or move. You know, since it just got flooded, we don't know if we want to go through the whole remodel process again. So. Yeah. Are you getting any sleep? No. Uh, None at all. (laughs) Sorry. I don't know what to say. I'm like, I really feel like you're just working here and working there and not just... a lot, but... Yeah. 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 (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. It was nice talking to you. Thank you, too. All right. The store, true to schedule, reopened the next day. And I checked back in with Caitlin, who told me that the home she'd just renovated had been in her family for four generations. And it was not in a floodplain, so it did not have flood insurance. She's waiting for a reply from the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, before she decides whether to rebuild or tear it down. Thank y'all. Part two, the picture. Just tell me your name and, and what you do. Yeah, it's uh, Andrew Carter, and uh, basically an uh, investigative enterprise reporter for the News and Observer and Charlotte Observer. And you have a little bit of a strep throat today. I do, yeah, yeah. Before, during, and after Hurricane Florence made landfall, Andrew Carter and a photographer, Travis Long, spent six days in towns across eastern North Carolina, Looking for stories. Went to Moorhead City, New Bern, Kinston, 
Trenton. Moorhead City was the first stop. We found this bar that literally had never closed under this set of owners, and they were boarding it up and closing it. And you know, I, I thought that was kind of a really poignant moment. And on the night the storm made landfall... I mean, it sounded basically like someone was outside the door trying to break down the door. They hunkered down in a motel. Travis slept through it. He told me that he's kind of used to sleeping in noisy environments because he has three kids. And, uh, <laughs> that next morning in Moorhead City, it was still pretty rough. Uh, I mean, there were still you know, 70, 80 mile an hour winds, but our bosses really wanted us to get to New Bern. Uh, let's go to another hot spot now. It's New Bern, North Carolina. You know, like now. And hundreds of people have been rescued there after a storm surge that reached 10 feet. Many more still waiting to be rescued. We came across uh, this staging area at a mall. These rescue teams that are getting ready to go out in boats. You go right there? Yeah. Police was working with these teams of volunteers. Andrew and Travis ask if they can go along. And we went on two of those, and both times it turned out that there were false alarms. And so at the end of the long day, they're like, okay, one more boat ride, and then we're moving on. Randomly, we just <laughs> we came across this man who was walking through the water, and he was looking for a ride. You know, he looked pretty worn down, like he was really tired, was having a bad day, and he had this kitten like inside of his jacket. The little kitten is meowing and is soaking wet. And so he got in the boat, and he started telling us his story, and we're riding out of the neighborhood. We've been through Bertha, Fran, Irene, Matthew, and this is the worst it's ever been in this part right here. Yeah, it turned out that you know, he's this you know, man who's lived in this neighborhood, Duffyfield in New Bern, which is a predominantly African-American neighborhood. Been there his entire life, and he has this father who doesn't want to leave the home, and he's worried about his dad. I just got fed up. My dad didn't want to come. He's still back there. It was like maybe a 15, 20-minute boat ride back to get out of this neighborhood. Uh, and about halfway through it, the kitten, like, crawls out of his jacket, and, like, on the man's back. I just thought that it was a captivating visual. And so I took out my iPhone and just started taking a bunch of photos. I tweeted this photo of the man. It said something like, meet Robert Simmons, and this is his cat. The cat's name, Robert told us, was Survivor. <laughs> Which, you know, I'm sure he just sort of came up with that name on the spot, but it fit. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, and this image out of North Carolina brings one word to mind, survivor. You know, the image just blew up. That's the name of this kitten rescued from flooding caused by Florence. You know, I think a lot of things came together with that particular image. Robert's face, I mean, you see the anguish of this man. And, you know, he looks frightened, and he looks worn down, and he kind of looks defeated. And, it, you know, it looks like he just has this unbearable weight on him and then you know you have this little kitten on his shoulder you know it has like kind of this defiant little look on its face which is interesting juxtaposition between the two hey wit talking with the boys now that was like the last big thing that travis and i did before we came back home was we caught back up with robert and we went back to that neighborhood running them down in history huh i can't save them all they furl I tried to catch him. You know, we spent like half a day with him and his family and his fiance, and he has a baby daughter. I was tired, man. I was tired. I had to walk through that water. And with MS and my bad leg, I don't do too much walking. And just thinking about I left my daddy, and he would, how dumb he was, didn't want to come. But he, you see, he's still here. <laughs>
people who don't understand sort of like how people like this are living might be, might just be like, well, I'll just get out of the neighborhood or find someplace else to go. Like, it's not that simple. I mean, Robert Simmons lives in a home with his dad. His dad is in his 60s and has congestive heart failure. And, you know, he's, he had a stroke and he doesn't move very effectively. It turns out that Robert's great-great-grandfather built that house. And so, like, generations of his family have lived in that house. This is like their neighborhood and it's the only thing that they know. And it's sort of like, you know, this attitude of I'm never leaving and, you know, this is my home and I don't want to leave. And it ain't no water come in the house. That would have, that would have blessed I think Robert's overall story is representative of what people went through with Florence, even more so than, you know, the, the one photo that went viral. Thanks to Andrew Carter for helping to tell Robert's story. He and his colleagues have been doing excellent work. You can read a collection of coverage, which is still ongoing, by heading over to newsobserver.com, or you can follow a link that we've included in the show notes for this episode. Part three, the fish. Every April, there's this big festival in the little town of Grifton. It's called the Grifton Shad Festival. There's a parade, there's face painting, live music, a car show. The festival itself is named for the shad, and here's a secret about that. There is plenty of fish stew at the festival. It is delicious. Then you add your onions and your potatoes and your fish. But they use catfish in it because shad are really, really, really bony. The fish that we chose to use today is catfish. Back in April, I went to Grifton for the Shad Festival and found out that people really didn't have much to say about the fish, but they had plenty to say about hurricanes. After Hurricane Floyd in 1999, one out of every seven people in Grifton left and didn't come back. After Hurricane Matthew in 2016, the Piggly Wiggly in Grifton closed and didn't reopen, and town leaders had to convince a new grocery store to move in in its place. Back in April, the big news in Grifton was the building of a new solar farm at the edge of town. You know what happens if those solar panels flood? A town commissioner asked me. Nothing, he said. After Hurricane Florence, I'd heard about the hardest-hit areas, places like Wilmington, New Bern, Jacksonville, and Lumberton, but I didn't hear much about Grifton. And honestly, I was a little bit worried. So, on a Thursday, two weeks after Florence made landfall, I drove out to Grifton to see things for myself. I'm standing at the what used to be the boat ramp here at the end of Main Street. The town itself is about halfway between Greenville and Kinston. Kinston took a much harder hit. But the creek that runs through Grifton was still eight feet higher than normal. And there's just this kind of weird, very pungent, muddy smell. How are you, sir? You live here in town? Huh? You live here in town? I live right over there. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Uh, so you get you get a whole lot of water. Yeah, my whole yard was flooded. Yeah. Yeah. Rest of your house okay? Yeah, it's up plenty high. If you went that way, you'll see it is way up there. Yeah, yeah. So I'm Jeremy, by the way. I'm, hey. from, I'm a little later. Two guys I met at the Shad Festival took me around town to show me, basically, the same thing. But everything seemed to be all right. Truck so big, you got to have a running board to get in. <laughs> Now, the short version why is that when Floyd hit in 1999, a lot of houses were condemned and then bought out by FEMA. The lots became parked or woods or parking lots or campgrounds. Then Matthew came and destroyed more homes. And so, to be honest, when Florence hit, the stuff that would have been flooded in the years past was already gone. When we came up Water Street, uh-huh. all those vacant lots used to have houses on Plus, Florence did not hit as hard here as it did to the south. So when you drive through town, things don't look so bad. But when you go beneath the surface, you find that there's something else going on here. How much further out is the substation here? Just a little uh, bit. About a mile from it. Gotcha. The two men, Tommy Sugg and Claude Kennedy, drive me out to the edge of town to go look at, of all things, a Duke Energy substation. It, it flooded from rainwater. It, it wasn't back up from the... Uh creek or anything. Like say 24 hours after it flooded it was just like now. You could walk in here. No yeah. But it took some transformers out. And, uh-huh. and this is this is the substation where it supplies Grifton. All of Grifton. The power was out for five days in Grifton. The grocery store was still closed. People lost a lot of food. Some lost their water and a lot of them went looking for help. Tommy I would park back here on the right. Which leads us here. What did this used to be? used to be a, a boat trailer manufacturer. We pull into this old factory, and there are a bunch of other cars pulling up, people walking in and out. And the guys take me into a back room. These are donations that have come in since the storm. Wow. Just a room full of just all kinds of Everything. diapers and diapers, razors. Uh, toiletries. Next to that, there's a kitchen. And lunch, what's for lunch? Chicken, green beans, seasoned corn, bread, chips, and love. <laughs> Always. <laughs> and people are here because they're hungry. I thought I was going to lose, lose, you know, a lot of my house, the trees, um, flooded, you know, things going to flood away. But thank God it didn't. It just... Uh, Everything that I had, you know, like food that we had purchased, it got spoiled. And so, you know, we just ran short of food, so I came here since they were offering it. This is Grifton Mission Ministries, and the guy running it, the guy who always seems to have his phone ringing, is Billy Tarleton. Early on, they really don't know what they need. You just know that they're hungry and they need water. So that's the immediate need, and that's where we're kind of starting to trend now into hygiene products and and cleaning supplies. In 1999, a bunch of Baptist missionaries used this same space to help feed people after Hurricane Floyd. I'm from Charlotte, general contractor by trade, but I shut my business down and come down here and started this. After Floyd, everybody eventually went back home. Billy made Grifton his home. And for 20 years now, he's been here, in good weather and bad, Anybody can come into Billy's place anytime and get a free meal or food to take home or water or whatever else might help them get back on their feet. 
It doesn't matter that Grifton wasn't the hardest hit place. It doesn't matter that the need might be greater somewhere else. Here, you don't need to prove that you need help. You just need to ask for it. Judge not, yet you be judged. And then, and then God says, do you pull the bad out of the good? No, he says, let it stay there because when you pull the bad out of the good, you uproot the good. For anybody to come in the door and you tell them, no, I'm not gonna serve you, does a whole lot more damage, even though they may have a bad attitude, you still go ahead and serve them than it would be to turn them away. You don't turn anybody away. A flood is one of the worst things you can work. A fire, everything's gone. A hurricane, it's all blown away. Flood, it just gets, it's there. But can you use it or can you not? You know, it's like taking everything you got, keeping it in water a week or so, and then go back to it and tell me what you can use. It's still there, you can still feel it, but can you or can you not use it? If it burns up, you can't use it. There's no question about it. It's an easier decision if it's just gone. Yeah, if it's just gone and out of sight and out of mind. The other thing too, it's kind of, I don't know if it's human nature or whatever, but the people that wasn't affected out of sight, out of mind. If you don't see it, you have a tendency to forget it. And you know, you can't be that way. People in Grifton, they don't forget. And maybe that's why they love the Shad so much. Why they have a whole festival name for it. It's not a particularly lovable fish. You can't really find it at the grocery store. And even if you do catch one, they're hard to eat. But the Shad never forget where they come from. Every year, they swim out of the Atlantic Ocean, through the Pamlico Sound, up the Noose River, into Contentnia Creek. And when they get to Grifton, they stop and spawn and a new generation of shad are born. And later in life, they return to the place of their birth. The shad always come back, just like the people of Grifton, just like North Carolinians. No matter what, they always come back. If you would like to help out those people affected by Hurricane Florence, we will try and point you in the right direction. We have a list of resources in the show notes for this episode, and you can also find them on our website, away.ourstate.com. This podcast is a production of Our State Magazine, an employee-owned company that's been celebrating North Carolina for more than 85 years. Thanks for listening. We're taking a break for a while, but we will be back, and we'll talk to you again soon.